the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. There are some people that we just naturally like. We're drawn to them. We like their personalities. We like their mannerisms. We like their their temperaments, perhaps their background, perhaps even the way they look. But there are other people that we just don't like. I worked for many years with a man who was one of the laziest backstabbers I have ever met. No one could trust him, and no one liked him. Once while I was away on vacation, he had collapsed at work. Even though we had trained EMTs among the workers, they tell me that no one would help him until the company nurse came out. At least someone did go to the bother of notifying her, or this man probably would have died right there. The unwillingness of almost 100 people to help this man said a lot about his character, but it said even more about the character of what I would call the guilty bystanders. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher for these daily radio Bible classes is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are in the midst of a series of lessons from 1 John about how to recognize the children of God. John pointed out to us that there are two kinds of people on this planet, children of God and children of Satan. The story about my co-workers illustrates the mindset of the children of Satan towards someone they don't like. Now let's spend some time considering the characteristics of the children of God. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read for our study verses 14 through 18. John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides or remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding or remaining in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We continue our study of 1 John, as well as observe the Lord's Supper. We will celebrate communion. In the providence of God, we have come to these particular verses, which are so fitting for us to remember Christ and his love for us and what he's done for us on the cross. It's been a while since we've studied 1 John, so I want to remind you that these particular verses are part of a larger section in which the Apostle John is making a contrast, folks, a contrast between unbelievers whom he refers to as the children of Satan or of the devil, he calls them, and believers in Christ whom he refers to as the children of God. And notice how the chapter begins, verses 1 and 2. See how great 
a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, and so forth. So he establishes the fact that he's talking about the children of God. Then John, after speaking about what it means to be a child of God, then tells us about those who are not children of God, but they are children of the devil. They are unregenerate, unsaved people. Verses 8 through 10, the one who practices sin, he writes, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. He means to continue in sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, John has made a distinction. There are the children of God, those who have come to faith in Christ, and because of their faith in Christ, they have a relationship with God, they are his children. Those who have never come to faith in Christ are called the children of the devil. And throughout this chapter, John makes a general distinction then between the children of God and the children of the devil. And he basically, his message is this, the children of God practice righteousness. That is to say that their life is characterized by obedience to the word of God. It's not, he's not talking about perfect obedience, but he is talking about the general direction of their lives. They are those who desire to obey the word of God. That is characteristic of them. However, the children of the devil are not like that. They are characterized by practicing what John calls lawlessness, It isn't that they simply break a law, it's that they have a disregard for all of God's law. They are a law unto themselves. Notice verses 4 through 8. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, speaking of Christ, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. He means practices sin. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So, we understand that John has been establishing one basic truth. There is a difference between the children of God and the children of Satan. One practices righteousness, one practices lawlessness. But beginning with the end of verse 10, where John speaks about love, John moves from the general concept of righteousness to the specific issue of love. And he's really talking about loving the brethren, loving other Christians. And his primary point is to say, as he develops this, that Satan's children are characterized by hating people, specifically the children of God. Whereas God's children are characterized by loving, specifically they love other children of God. And the reason John is compelled to stress this is because he wants to help these readers have assurance of their salvation. That's why uh, he will say, notice chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. He's giving one more mark 
for assurance of salvation. You can know that you're saved because this is true in your life. That is consistent with this entire book. Chapter 5, verse 13. These things are written that you, my, you who believe, might know that you have eternal life. So it's a book about assurance. And now he will once again, he's already done this, but he'll, he'll come from another angle and take us deeper in this. He will once again stress the truth that you can know that you're saved if you love God's people. Now notice how John develops this thought. In verses 11 through 13, which we saw as our last study, John highlights an Old Testament, very infamous character by the name of Cain. Cain is an example of a hateful unbeliever who hated so much that he actually killed his brother, his brother Abel, because he resented Abel's righteous deeds. Verses 11 and 12, for this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, that's another way of saying he was of Satan, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. I said when we went over that, it's very likely that Cain actually slit the throat of Abel, a brutal murder. He had only seen animals murdered, and that's how you would uh, slay an animal. So he probably did that to his brother. Then John makes it clear that Cain's hatred of Abel was not an isolated historical incident, but rather that all unbelievers bear the same type of hatred in their hearts against God's children because Satan hates God, so he hates God's children. You see, here's his point. Cain is a prototype, a picture of the attitude that prevails among all of Satan's children. They hate us. They hate born-again believers. And that's why notice what John says in verse 13. He says we shouldn't be surprised. Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised because the world is made up of people like Cain. Whether they actually commit the deed of murder or not, it's in their hearts. But having established the general principle that the devil's children hate God's children, John now turns his attention to explaining to us a wonderful truth that is intended to help us in this whole area of assurance of our salvation. And it's this, God's children love God's children. They love other children of God. In other words, those who have really been converted. If you are really saved, you, have, you will have a special love in your heart for God's people. That is to say that John teaches us that one of the evidences of true regeneration, true salvation, having a divine nature within you, is that you love the brethren. However, lots of people say that they love God. Lots of people say that they love people. I know unsaved people who say, I've always loved God and I love everybody. I just love everybody. So our world is filled, folks, with people who claim to love everyone. They may not love individuals. They kind of love humanity, like what Snoopy said. I, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. But they have deceived themselves to think that they, they love everybody. So here's the question. How can we tell then if what we have is genuine love? If, if what we have is God's love, we need to know it. If what we have is the world's type of love, we need to know that as well. If we have God's love dwelling in us and demonstrated through us, then we can know that we're saved. That's exactly what John addresses in this passage. So John not only tells us that love is the evidence 
of true salvation. He actually tells us the essence of love or the the true definition of love, how it's expressed. He defines God's love for us in terms of Jesus being our supreme example. So let's get into our passage. We'll see what John has to say about God's children loving other children of God. First of all, John tells us that loving Christians is the evidence of true salvation. It says in verse 14, we know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love, John writes, abides in death. John tells us here that loving the brethren is proof positive that we have passed out of death into life, which is simply another way of saying that we've been saved. In other words, he's saying that one of the marks that you have passed from being spiritually dead, dead in your sins, to new life in Christ is that you have a love, a genuine, true love for the people of God. You have it in your heart. And he adds at the end of this verse, if you don't love the brethren, then you remain dead in your sins. That is to say, you've never been converted. Now, let's think through this verse and consider some of the... uh, deeply profound truths that John is bringing out here. First of all, notice this. This verse addresses the doctrine of what theologians call the doctrine of original sin. That all of us, because of our connection to the head of our race, Adam, we start off in life spiritually dead sinners. We're dead. It's precisely what John means when he says we've passed out of death. We were once dead. This is precisely what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Paul said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We, we all started off in life as sinners, who because of our sin, we were spiritually dead, without any relationship with God. That's a profound truth. And it's a profound truth to understand because there are some who would tell us that that people are born neutral into this world. They would say we're born neutral into this world and then at some point in our lives, we choose whether we're going to follow Christ or whether we're going to reject him. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we were born sinners, spiritually dead sinners. We were not neutral. We were haters of God. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We rejected God. We rejected Christ. And everything we do in life as dead sinners simply expresses our sinfulness in one way or another. That's an important truth to grasp. Secondly, John's statement reveals that although we all started out as spiritually dead sinners, those who have become Christians, have passed out of this realm. We've passed out of the realm of death into the realm of life. It's a tremendous truth because it reveals that salvation is the work of God's sovereign choice in bringing a dead sinner to life in Christ. Is the sovereign work of God. No one but God could take us from the realm of death and bring us into the realm of life. We certainly couldn't do that. We couldn't make ourselves born again just as we couldn't make ourselves born physically. Listen to what James Boyce pointed out in his commentary on 1 John concerning this. He said, 
And I quote, no one grows into Christianity. Christianity is a divine creation or recreation by which God of his own free will plans spiritual life within a person who otherwise is dead spiritually. This is what the Bible calls regeneration. And once again, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, but now verses 3 and following says, among them, you you two all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, one of the greatest statements in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been Saved. That is to say that you and I were dead sinners. God who chose us in eternity past at a certain point in time broke into our lives and regenerated us, gave us faith, gave us repentance. We believe because God is the one who's rich in mercy and grace and caused us to be born again. See, salvation is the sovereign act of God whereby he implants new life known as a new divine nature within us, and that is exactly what it means to be born again or regenerated. But he's the one who does it, not us. Third, the proof of of God's life dwelling in you is that, as we've said, and this is John's primary point, that you love the brethren. You love the brethren. Because to have his life dwelling in you means that you bear some resemblance to the one who gave you this new life, which is his divine nature. You have to bear a resemblance to him, otherwise you don't know him. That's why John says that if someone does not love the brethren, then he still remains spiritually dead because he's never been born again. If it's Christ's divine nature within us, and his nature is to love, for God is love, then we must we must reflect that to one degree or another. Now, at this point, I want to address an important issue because there are some who become, when they hear this, very troubled, very troubled about loving the brethren as proof of salvation because there are some Christians that they just don't like. And they really don't like them, and they're honest about it. And because they don't like them, they assume that this means the same thing as they don't love them. But that's not true. That's not true. Liking and loving someone are two distinct issues. There are some people that we just naturally like. We're drawn to them. We like their personalities. We like their mannerisms. We like their their temperaments, perhaps their background, perhaps even the way they look. But there are other people that we just don't like. Love is different. Love, though, is different because love looks beyond what it does or does not like in an individual, and chooses to love them. That's what love does. Love is not the same thing as liking. Love says, you may be very unlikable, but I choose to love you, and I choose to do nice things for you for your benefit. Here's what Lloyd-Jones had to say about this. He said, to love those whom we do not like means that we treat them as if we did like them. That's good. 
Let me say that again. To love those whom we do not like means that we treat them as if we did like them, to choose to act kindly towards them even though we do not like them. That's a great statement. That is so true. So listen, if you're struggling in this area, you don't like a certain Christian or maybe a number of Christians, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just be kind to them anyway and see them for who they really are, God's child, and then treat them as if you did like them. And so John tells us that you and I can know that we're really saved because we have a love for God's children, a love that is an ongoing way of life. He's not talking about an isolated once in a while. He's talking about a pattern of living. But this is not the case with non-Christians. We should understand that. Because rather than love the brethren, they actually hate God's people. Notice what John says about non-Christians and their hatred for Christians in verse 15. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer, he writes, has eternal life abiding in him. Now, once again, we want to be very careful that we don't misunderstand what John is teaching us. Otherwise, we could rob ourselves of the assurance of salvation rather than gain it. See, when John says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and that no murderer has eternal life, he isn't talking about isolated incidents in which we find ourselves having a horrible, hateful attitudes towards someone. Listen, we've all done that. We've all done that. All of us have experienced that type of hatred. And if you say, not me, then you're, you're kidding yourself. We all at times can get caught up in feelings of deep animosity towards people, God's people. Someone calls it surges of hatred. We have anger in our hearts towards another Christian. That's not what John is talking about. John is not talking about just an isolated time once in a while. He's referring to someone who, watch this, continues as a way of life to harbor hatred and hateful attitudes without any remorse, any repentance, or any concern. It doesn't bother them. In fact, there are some people who just live that way. They, they just rather enjoy being angry at other people. Hatred and anger are just ways of life for the non-Christian. And God calls this kind of person a murderer because that's exactly what they are. Since the Bible says that murder is the outward expression of inward hatred. In other words, while not everyone actually commits the deed of murder, all who have hateful anger in their hearts are considered by God as murderers because their attitude is exactly the same. This is precisely what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you this, and I think you're very familiar with it. Matthew chapter 5, when on the Sermon on the Mount, he said in verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, meaning the Jewish people were told years ago, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And I said, you've been taught by the rabbis that it's not right to commit murder. That's how they interpret one of the Ten Commandments. But he says, I'm going to clarify this, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What Jesus is saying is, look, 
when I gave Moses the Ten Commandments, this was my intent from the beginning. When I told Moses for the Jewish people in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not murder, what I meant by that is not only don't you physically murder somebody, but don't hate them in your heart. That's what I intended. That's the full meaning of the law. If you look at somebody and you say you're good for nothing and you have horrible, angry thoughts about them in your heart, then you are guilty of murder. That's precisely what Jesus is talking about. Jesus had much stricter standards than the general population of his day and of our times as well. We'll have to wrap up today's broadcast now since our time is nearly gone. But let me just remind you as we close that when John said that no murderer has eternal life, he didn't mean that no Christian could ever kill someone or that no one who has murdered a person can be saved. He was referring to the fact that a generally hateful attitude isn't possible in a saved person and that a generally loving attitude is rock-solid evidence of the transformation that takes place at salvation. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us through the third chapter of 1 John as we learn how to recognize the children of God. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Chapel, and you can find out more about us as well as listen to previous broadcasts at our website, versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love isn't a feeling. It's a decision. It isn't expressed in words nearly as effectively as it is in actions. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.